Have you ever walked past a dumpster and been like, yo, I wonder what's in that dumpster? I can put on these glasses. Let's start eating that trash can. I'm pulling up a pint, I'm smoking on that cush, whipping up cocaine, bitch I'm about to cook, you wanna sell drugs, follow my footsteps, then you'll receive cocaine at your You're listening to the True Crime Dumpster Podcast with hosts Amy and Kevin. And it's another quarantine edition with episode 28, The Dark Web and Part 2 of The Silk Road. Getting up there. I know. We're getting into our 30s. You're already in your 40s on Earth. So this is going to be a continuation from our last week's episode that we started about the Silk Road. So if you haven't listened to that one already, stop listening to this one. Go back and listen to the first one or else this one might not make as much sense. This one took a little longer for us to get out because with things maybe opening it up, not opening up, everybody with a lot of misinformation and to mask or not to mask, what is the question and all that stuff. Um, it makes it difficult for us podcast folk uh, to be able to do things because we have real jobs. We make no money doing this podcast. A labor of love. Yeah. And so instead of getting this podcast out like nor- we normally would, Kevin and I actually volunteered at my high school helping to get things kind of ramped up to end the year. And yeah, so. This has been a very, very, very strange year of teaching. So if you're teachers out there, I feel you, man. This is fucking weird. That was also my good deed for the rest of the year. So. Yeah. So you don't, you didn't have to go to prom this year. So that's why. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Actually, I am a surplus of good deeds. Uh, you know, going to work every day, expo- being on the front lines of this. I know, making less than you virus. would with unemployment. But we promise that this will be a really, really awesome episode. We promise. All I was saying is I have some. I have surplus of good, so now I can do some bad yeah. and still be good. Cool. So last week we left off with Ross ready to launch his website and trying to create a buzz about it on some online drug forums. In late January slash early February of 2011, the Silk Road website was officially launched. At this point, he is still running Good Wagon Books, which was a complimentary business. He could send out orders for mushrooms mixed in with his book orders, and no one would be none the wiser. At this point, he had also shown Julia the website. She is potentially the only one who he would ever show the website to directly. Orders started to come in for his mushrooms. He was excited, but it made Julia anxious. By March 2011, he had a few thousand dollars worth of revenue from the website. However, trying to juggle being a shroom dealer and dark website creator on top of the book business was a little too much. Then, one day, the shelves came toppling over, like, literally. The bookshelves all fell over. 
So he called it quits and told his friend that it would be too labor-intensive to reorganize everything and that he wanted out. So he was out and free to concentrate on drugs and the Silk Road. You made the right choice, buddy. (laughs) I'm going to go ahead and say just a couple steps ahead. I'm going to say no, not the right choice. Good Wagon Books probably wouldn't get you a life sentence. Well, okay. (laughs) But think of those years he had. It wasn't even years. It was like a year and a half. Yeah. I know. I know. We'll talk about that next week. We'll get there. So a new user named Adrian802 popped up on the Silk Road asking users to be interviewed for a blog piece he was writing for, for the Gawker. Adrian802 was an aspiring writer named Adrian Chin. He was able to get some people to agree to it, even Ross who used his platform to espouse his libertarian beliefs. And at this point, Ross is going either by admin or the Silk Road, just so you know. Within a few days of the Gawker piece, Senator Chuck Schumer, one of my favorite people on this earth, he's got such a lovable face. He held a press conference about the dangers of a new website called the Silk Road. That was when Ross knew he had hit it big. No shit. (laughs) Yeah. From the time the Gawker piece was published, he started to see a huge influx of users on the website. (laughs) An alarming amount. Also, The Atlantic, NPR, ABC, and NBC. You know those guys. Those small media outlets. (laughs) Yeah, independent news outlets started to follow suit reporting on the Silk Road. So, yeah, I guess you could say he hit it big. He was shaking in his boots at this point. Took too much, man. You took too much. (laughs) (laughs) Ross started to get anxious, obviously, and spent hours and hours each day on the website. One day he realized his money was dwindling. He had forgotten to plug a leaking hole, metaphorically speaking. This wouldn't be the last time something like this happened. So I think someone was hacked into his Bitcoin, right? Yeah, that happened a few times. Remember... Code writing and website creation was not Ross's thing, and hackers who basked in the darkness and anonymity of the dark web were ready to find holes in Ross's money-making drug empire. He temporarily shut down new users coming to the site to try and bail out some of the water on a sinking ship. He barely slept or ate during this time, and him and Julia were fighting more. When guns started to enter the dark web marketplace, Julia's murky morals became abundantly clear. She was not cool with this. She took a trip to New York to see her best friend, Erica. Yeah, and and to clear her head. Yeah. Yeah, just to get away. Yeah. While there, she broke her promise to Ross to never speak about the Silk Road. She told Erica everything. When she came back, she broke up with Ross, wanting to distance herself from all the anxiety and fear that his website was causing them. They still saw each other on and off, but he moved into his own place. With more space open, Julia invited Erica to move into her, into her Austin apartment. Erica tried out the Silk Road <laughs> and bought some acid on it. And after a bad trip, they got into a fight. Before long, she was on a plane back to New York. Soon after, Ross woke up to Erica's message on his Facebook wall. I'm sure the authorities would like to know about Ross Ulbricht's drug website. He immediately deleted it and called Erica crying, begging her to never bring it up again, she promised. After confronting Julia about her broken promise to him, 
Ross sold all of his things and moved to Australia, where his sister was. He felt certain that the DEA and FBI were on his tail. One of the last stops he made before heading off to Australia in the fall of 2011 was to see his friend Richard Bates. He wanted to make sure that Richard hadn't told anyone about the Silk Road. When Richard said that they needed to shut it down, Ross said he couldn't. He had already given it away. On February 6, 2012, the Silk Road admin announced his new name, the Dread Pirate Roberts, for the first time. But first, we want to bring you an interview that was hooked up by one of our amazing listeners. Mm -hmm. We will call him Placido, and we actually really don't know him. And he was an early user of the Silk Road. We were lucky enough to be able to interview him really authentically and genuinely. He's a super <clears throat> duper cool dude. And get an in-depth look into what it was like to be an early and avid member of the website. Yeah, uh, the interview took me by surprise. It was amazing. <laughs> so thank you again, Placido. And here's the interview. Hi, Amy. Hi, Kevin. I'm Placido. How did you find out about the Silk Road? I found out about the Silk Road from some friends of mine online in IRC, sort of what's, when... What's IRC? Sorry. IRC is internet, is, is, is internet Relay Chat. It's basically just, it's like one of the original chat rooms, you know, using the internet. It's kind of like technology oriented. You kind of have to, I mean... Back in the day, you kind of had to know what you're doing to log on and get into IRC chat rooms, and gotcha. it's kind of yeah, it's it's more geek, geeky. Kind okay, of so it's like you know? so it's a bunch of nerds talking to each other. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, I mean, cool. there's so a lot of about from, a lot of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and Ross Ulbricht, the guy who started it, he was a nerd too. So mm -hmm. it's kind of funny because it's a mixture of like both nerds and like drug dealers outlaws. and drug dealers that are nerds you know Techie <laughs> there's a big intersection actually that i've come to discover over the years that there's a lot of there's a big intersection between people that are in, involved in crime and i'm talking like high levels of organized crime and people that are involved with you know general computers internet networking security privacy all that kind of stuff yeah it's uh, like the new frontier for crime yeah, exactly. So you found out about the Silk Road through IRC. Mm -hmm. um, what did what did you hear about it, or why did you decide to try it? Well, I had heard about the Tor protocol, which is how you access the dark web, basically yeah. an internet within internet. You know, direct yeah. connections to that stuff. I had heard about Tor years before when it was first being developed as a privacy protocol for journalists and people in places where censor censorship was a pretty big deal. Yeah, and, right. um, <clears throat> you know, it came up again and said, Hey, you know, there are, there's like a website. It's like, it's like Craigslist, but for drugs and they got all <laughs> kinds of drugs on it. And it's yeah. like eBay and you have to, and they have verified vendors and verified sellers and the feedback system. And there's an escrow system. And, uh, I said, Oh, you know, uh, can I curse on this podcast? Is that bad if I curse? Oh, go for it. We okay. love cussing. So when I first heard about that, I was like, well, this is bullshit. It sounds like the most yeah. insecure. Um, exactly. It's a fucking honeypot. 
and and you know anybody that uses this thing is, yeah, is going to go right DEA, to jail. It's just DEA agents. <laughs> yeah, it's just Fed propaganda. They're trying to get you locked up in. So you know, I was I, I put it in the back of my mind, and uh, and then out of out of nowhere, my brother mentioned it to me. I got a brother who's a couple years older, and he does online security privacy stuff. And he said, yeah, you hear about that thing? It's called the Silk Road. And um, he had introduced me to cryptocurrency a year or so before all this. And so we were kind of together exploring what cryptocurrency was and how it relates to everything and, and, you know, uh, what it means for currency in, in, in the economy or whatever. So he, he he tried to explain to me what this Silk Road was, and you can go on there and basically order drugs through the mail. And right. so I said, well, okay, <clears throat> I I definitely want to see what this is about. I definitely mm-hmm. want to go on there, and I want to see, is this something that's plausible? Are people actually using this website? You know, what Was what this, is actually just, what the risks are? I'm curious, is this... What year are we talking about? Like 2012? Yeah, we're talking about 2012, like the early part of 2012, I want to say. Okay. I know. Because like, be- yeah. Had the Gawker because, piece come out yet? Yeah, you know? go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh, it had the Gawker piece already come out? Because that was like the one that made, or was this kind of like before where it was like still kind of smaller? This is, this is pretty much towards the beginning. This was okay. when... This was when I think vendors actually didn't actually have to pay anything to be a vendor on the site. Oh, gotcha. And I think some months down the road after the beginning, they started charging vendors. It was something around two to three hundred dollars in bit in that value of Bitcoin back then to become a vendor. So gotcha. um, there was a little bit of a of a barrier to entry to become an actual seller on the site. And mm-hmm. when I had first joined up, it wasn't super big. So what was it like the first time you used it? And what did you buy? <laughs> if you don't mind us yeah. asking. No, totally. I, you know, I get Tor on my computer. This was before the widespread use of, of VPNs and, and even virtual machines to kind of cloak what you're doing online. So I just said, well, fuck it. I'll download this and I'll trust, I'll trust what's happening here, you know? And uh, so I downloaded Tor, got it installed, and I read the documents on the on the dark web. You know, they have a dark web Wikipedia that kind of explains to you what privacy is, you know, how to use the stuff, how to use this, the, the protocol privately and how to use uh, PGP encryption to make communications with these drug dealers online. You know, because the whole thing is, if anybody finds out what you're doing, you could be busted very easily. So... I signed up for an account, made up a username. They direct you to a forum that is hosted on a separate web address, kind of similar to the Onion addresses that they were using. Yeah. And that was a main discussion forum for the vendors and for people advertising products and discussing discussing privacy issues and whatnot and, and the best way uh, for stealth or how to get stuff shipped to you uh, safely. So uh, you go on there, and um, at the time, I was only interested in buying heroin because that's what I was really into at the time. Mm-hmm. So I looked through the heroin listings, and, and it was crazy. I didn't realize that there were so many people that were selling heroin online, and the kind of heroin that they were selling and 
all of the advertising and, and um, the criteria that makes it good and all that stuff, because out here on the street, a lot of it is just black tar heroin, you know? Yeah. So yeah. it's not like uh, you have a whole lot of choice. I mean, you can get powder dope sometimes, but it's not safe or it's not as good as what you would think it is, you know, not like how it is on the East Coast. So yeah. there were advertisers that were listing uh, what they call number four heroin that was supposedly from Afghanistan. And there was a vendor on the site at the time whose name was Tony 76 and he was mm -hmm. a big time heroin dealer. He was doing, and you could, cause you could, the, the whole thing about crypto is when you send to a crypto address, you can actually see what the transactions are. You can see the volume of transactions on the ledger that exists for the, for, for, for Bitcoin. And he was doing something like, like a hundred thousand dollars, you know, in several transactions every week or something like that. A ton of a ton of fucking money. This guy was based in Canada too. So I, I ordered some of this number four heroin. It was five hundred dollars a gram. And if anybody does heroin, Is they that know that's cheap? a lot of fucking money for a gram of heroin. That's a okay, lot. Okay. Okay. So that's expensive. All right. Very expensive. However, I must say that it's the kind of heroin that you would never, ever, ever find on the street out here. Never. Okay. I mean, you, you know, it's, it's definitely the craziest stuff that you've ever seen. I mean, it was tan, it was pure. It was like little pebbles, you know? Mm -hmm. And, uh, I wasn't shooting dope at that time. I was only smoking it and snorting it. And so mm -hmm. we had to be really careful with it because it was super yeah, strong. It's not cut with anything else. Yeah. And this is another thing. This was before all of the major fentanyl scares that we yeah. are experiencing now in the last couple of years. This was before this was all just regular smuggled in imported East Asian or West Asian heroin. That was apparently mm -hmm. when it got into Canada and was uh, trafficked up there by the motorcycle gangs. And that's how it found its way online. And there was some guy up there, this guy, Tony 76, and it was a speculation that he was involved with these motorcycle gangs and he was their guy. I mean, that that's kind of the whole thing is a lot of these guys on there were members of not, they weren't just small time people. They were members of big time trafficking organizations involved in some pretty dark stuff. So yeah, yeah it's pretty crazy, pretty crazy to think about now. Yeah, totally. I know it seems so casual and serious at the same time because it's such a casual medium, you know? Yeah. That's what's crazy about it. So just a couple of questions mm -hmm. as to like why it, it seems like maybe obvious at this point, but was there like a part of you? First of all, are you a libertarian? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm yeah, probably. I'm not definitely. Not, <laughs> yeah. I'm or not do you like believe super... in like, did you start using the site because you just wanted drugs or did you use the site because you believe in like this idea of a true free market and government not having its pause on what you do, you know, or was it a mixture of anything? Was there any ideological, I guess, reasons why you would join the Silk Road versus just drugs? Sure. I mean, I've always I mean, I think first and foremost, I've always I've always been drawn to things that other people don't really i mean kind of like you know the new frontier you know people mm -hmm. that haven't really explored it all that much kind of like being there for that and um 
So there was like an exciting element to it. For oh, you, definitely. I love. I yeah. mean, I, I'm I'm attracted to that kind of stuff, dangerous stuff. I I do believe in. I do believe in privacy. I do believe in the free market. I do believe in in that kind of stuff and people leaving you alone. More realistically, it's 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 me having this lifelong issue with people telling me no or telling me I can't do something or can't have something because of some something, some reason that I don't understand or don't care about. Yeah. So and then also when you're an addict, it's like, hey, there you go. You don't have to go fuck around on the streets. You don't have to. It's a you don't safe have way to, to get play. your drugs. Exactly. And yeah. and with a feedback system and a constant communication with the vendors, it's unlike anything that is normal for the street. You oh, on the street, yeah. you, you 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 take what you get, and that's it. And if you have a problem, you can go fuck yourself. And mm-hmm. that's, you know, the experience up until you get on the Internet. And it is more like e-commerce. It is more like a typical Amazon type deal. If you short a customer or if you don't ship out a package or if you finalize a transaction early to get your money, then you get rated poorly. And then everybody knows, don't fuck with this guy. He's bullshit. Right. Yeah. yeah. Chased off the site. So it's like any other good kind of commerce the only other problem to that is you do pay a premium for it and you are working with a a weird currency that at the time was really new and i'll have a question about that later on but i'm gonna jump through a couple questions because you're kind of getting to like a couple questions i have sorry um no, 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 no. That's perfect. Like we obviously like wrote a set of questions, but then we wanted to have like an organic conversation as well. In your mind, is Silk Road or other websites like it, are they detrimental or beneficial to people? Specifically, I I mean, obviously there are other things for sale on Silk Road other than mm-hmm. drugs, and we can talk about that in a little bit. Sure. But do you think that people being able to buy drugs online, especially drugs that are highly addictive, like, you know, heroin or is that essentially beneficial or detrimental to people? And should websites like that be like allowed basically? Yeah, I think that they should be. Uh, I mean, that's a tough question because there's obviously yeah, there's, there's, yes or no. there's a lot of things about it that are bad and a lot of things about it that, in essence, are very good, you know, because people should be able to decide for themselves what they want to put in their bodies. People should yeah, decide for themselves how they want to. It should be. It, I mean, it, it's a free market kind of thing. People should be able to have access to that if they want to, if they're ready for that, you know. Well, and then also you said you pay a premium. And so a lot of the people that that means that the most of the people that are buying quality drugs on the Silk Road are people that have money. Like it's not going to be like a homeless person on the street with no money trying no. to score something off of Silk Road. So it, it really has to do with like privilege and access too. Yeah, it's more of – I mean I think in, in that respect it's more technological than anything. Yeah. I think there is a – there at the time there was a major barrier for people to even get involved with it because you know, you have to download – software you have to configure it you have to understand pgp and so it's for a specific subset of people yeah very it is it is for like kind of like uh gray area i don't want to say like the gray area hacker guy because that sounds pretty lame but like it's (laughs) 
for people that are definitely have like had a computer and been on the internet for a really long time and and then they hear about it and they're like oh shit like i like to fuck around with drugs like i'm all about it like let's check it out you know why not let's let's see what we can do with it so yeah there is that barrier to it that's the kind of subset it was geared towards was the people that were kind of like intelligent hoodlums you know yeah (laughs) yeah. it wasn't just for your everyday dude on the street yeah you you kind of answered this already but were you ever scared about getting caught yes uh you know it's so funny because people were getting in trouble actively on the forums people would say hey uh i lost a package or i didn't receive a package or hey i got a love letter and a love letter is what happens when the u.s postal service leaves a note in your box that says hey Uh, we seized we we seized a package and we seized it and they either do one of two things. They just say, we seized it and that's it. Don't do it again. Or they try to do a controlled delivery, in which is a sting. And that's how you get really in, you know, that's when they bust you and they arrest you and they put you through the whole system, which is bad. Right? Yeah. Big timers like were getting cur- that. The Curtis Green guy, that's what happened to him. Yes, exactly. Yeah. He was um, Chronic Pain. That was his username. Mm-hmm. And I remember that username. I do remember oh, that. You do. Absolutely. Yeah. What concerned me was this is something that happened that really that kind of scared me off of it for a little while. There was a vendor on there by the name of Heisenberg, which is I'm sure you know is yeah, the Breaking ah, Bad reference. Yeah. Right. Very very uh, original reference there for a username. <laughs> yeah. So so this guy he sold only black tar heroin and he sold crystal methamphetamine. And people can choose to disclose kind of their geographical area, like their region. And it was clear this guy was from like the L.A. area. Mm -hmm. And I'm in Southern California area as well. At one point, I ordered a package. It was like $500 worth of different kinds of heroin that he had. And five days later, he had already he had already gotten the money. He finalized early on it, or he asked me to finalize early, which is something you don't do because they get your money before you get your product. Oh, finalized early, and five days later, I was like, "Hey, you know, where's my dope? I haven't gotten it." And he goes, "Oh yeah, uh, it'll be out the next day." A couple of days later, it still hasn't come in. I said, hey, guy, you know, where's my dope? It's been a couple days. And, you know, when you're doing that kind of dope, you get sick if you don't have it. And you start doing stupid shit. So he's like, oh, well, I have your address. You're actually pretty close to me. I can just drop it by your house. I said, Mm. no, not a fucking chance to you come near my fucking house. Not a chance. Cancel the fucking order. Get my money back to me. There is no chance that you're going to break this little barrier that we have. And come to my fucking house. I don't know who you are. You could be some total fruitcake weirdo guy. You know, I don't know. Don't come to my house and put anything in my fucking mailbox. That would be a bad thing for you to do. Yeah. And, you know, it eventually worked itself out. And I got my money back after complaining to the Silk Road. And they actually (laughs) reversed the, the transaction and I got my money back. And then uh, I cooled off on that shit for a while because I was like, you know what? A local guy could easily just go and come to my house and drop the shit off. Like, that's. Yeah, because he knows you clearly have money, too. 
Right. Or any, I mean, you notice it's a house. You can look up an address on Google Earth. I mean, anything, you know, it's, uh, you can look up anything about anyone by using their home address. So I, I was, at that point, I was like, you know what, this is not as cool as I thought it was or safe at least. So, uh, yeah. Did you experience any fallout or like any kind of getting notified by anyone when the Silk Road was busted because like your address may have been in, you know, somebody's system or anything? Right. There were a lot of vendors that would get busted and then they would get their, they had their address books basically unencrypted and everybody that they had a record of every person they sent anything to, you know, down to the amount of drugs or the, or, or the down to whatever a dollar amount or whatever. I never, not once, you know, and I, I spent thousands and thousands of dollars in Bitcoin on that site back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, and I'll tell you right now, I look at my Bitcoin ledgers from back in the day and we're talking about a half a million dollars in today's value. In yeah, Bitcoin. that's what I was going to ask you. Is yes, if you have, now. Do you still have any Bitcoin from back in the day? And then were you able to benefit from it all? Because we were looking, it was like the, there was that pizza Bitcoin thing where the guy paid like yeah. 10,000 Bitcoin, which was like equivalent to $41, mm-hmm. uh, which would be equivalent to $87 million today. Were you able to like benefit from any like leftover Bitcoin you may have had from being on the Silk Road or anything? No, not at all. When I first got Bitcoin as an investment before the Silk Road was even a thing, when my brother got me hooked up on it, Bitcoin was at, at that time, this was, I think, 2010 or 2011, Bitcoin was worth less than a penny. Less than yeah. a penny. And yeah. me and him both had thousands of Bitcoins. Oh, and they're worth they're they're worth about ten thousand each now, around yeah, ninety five hundred yeah. right now. So I know I and, and I go back and I look at my old blockchain wallets and I see oh I, you know here's one that was you know one and a half million dollars in that value you know in, in, in <laughs> right. today's value. Yeah. No, and it, it's just it's one of those things that it's like this is because you were a fucking drug addict. Well, and, and also because, you can't foresee, you know, I mean, there's a really good chance that Bitcoin would have totally tanked and all your Bitcoin would be worth nothing. You know exactly. what I mean? Like it's, it's a total crapshoot. It is. It definitely was. There were some people, some evangelists that saw it for what it is now, but honestly, I mean, it really was a crapshoot. Nobody could have, you know, nobody could have thought it was going to do what it's doing today, you know? Yeah. And like I'm the a guy big, who bought. Like the guy who bought the pizza for 10,000 Bitcoin, if he had any fucking idea that it was going to be worth $87 million today, or mm. he wouldn't have fucking ordered, he wouldn't have had anybody give him a fucking pizza. Like and there's just no fucking way. Digging huh? through, you have guys digging through the dump for old hard drives that they threw out. You know, oh, because they had wallets old on, Bitcoin on there. I mean, even, you know, wow. I mean, here's the thing, uh, you know, I you buy a gram of heroin on the Silk Road, it was about 48 Bitcoin at the time. I mean, mm-hmm. it's 40, it's 50 grand. It's the world's most expensive gram of heroin. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's it's like yeah. uh, so that that puts it in perspective to me too. It's like how much money I actually wasted on that. You know, and and just in yeah. general, you know, and that's 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 a tough pill to swallow. But you know what? It's just how that just how it works. It's just how it goes. Yeah. Well, you kind of answered this question too, but were the drugs good? It, so it sounds like they were really good if you're willing to pay a premium and they were 
okay if you were okay with paying a moderate price? The powder drugs were good, were really good. The best you could get. They had the best fish scale cocaine, the iridescent rainbow color cocaine cut right off the brick. I mean, purer than I've ever seen in my life. The, you know, giant shards of crystal meth, just (laughs) crazy drugs, you know, and then like drugs that you would never see otherwise, like, you know, acid from Switzerland, like liquid acid from Switzerland, like pure, you know, all kinds of ketamine, like pharmaceutical ketamine, you know, and then, you know, you could also get the 80 milligram oxycodones on there. Uh, You could get all kinds of different varieties of mushrooms and fungus and everything. I don't know people. And there were people that were doing key. They were sending kilos of a drug called MXE, which is, I think is some kind of ketamine analog or something like that. And they were selling it as ketamine or, Uh or no, it's something it was that or Molly or something like that. But but people were doing, were buying kilos, and that's why there was a flood of that stuff for a long time. Is because there were buyers buying bulk of it through the Silk Road and then dispersing it in their communities, you know. But it wow. was just a different chemical altogether. So yeah. just another trick to me, basically. Do yeah. you think that the Silk Road made you try more drugs than you would have otherwise? No, that's one you thing I know done for those sure. Things no. anyways. No, I I had already done most of those already. You know, I just wasn't, it was, it was a way for me to avoid having to deal with unreliable people in person and have to sweat going places and dealing with weird people or dangerous people. And I mean, anybody that's had to like hustle for drugs knows what it's like to have to do that it's a very depressing very demeaning thing and it's tough to deal with you know it's not fun it's 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 bad it's not good so uh i was happy to not i was happy to avoid all of that stuff because uh it's just another layer of drama i didn't want to get involved with so i just happy to go on the computer do my little computer thing and a couple days (laughs) later have really clean drugs at my door yeah Yeah, And all and and like I was trying to I think I was trying to say this, but and all of the thousands and thousands of dollars that I had spent on there and, and the multiple, multiple packages of drugs that I've ordered, I have never, never, not once lost a package or had wow. a package go missing. I never not once had a letter from the US Postal Service. Not not once. And uh, that is what I normally tell people is they say, oh, you know, you're full of shit. You never did that. You never did nothing like that. That's not real. It's not a real thing. I go, it is a real thing. And I've never lost a package. That's how reliable the U.S. Postal Service is, for one thing. But, uh, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, so it's pretty crazy. What was the craziest thing you ever bought for yourself on the Silk Road? Oh, just the thousands of dollars and like crazy number four uo globe double dragon heroin or whatever (laughs) like the crazy golden so you didn't you didn't order like any hits on there or anything (laughs) no and and that's and that's a crazy thing about about that is there's this misconception that people could order hits or do that kind of stuff on the silk road there were there was a marketplace 
for digital stuff like, you know, stolen credit cards, software, um, you know, viruses that you could buy and, and infect people's computers with. You could even buy at one point some guy in Europe was selling like a holiday package with airfare to take you to like a whorehouse. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I never did nothing like that, but I mean, that was kind of Silk stuff Road... was available. Yeah, so was Silk Road just drugs, and then there were other like websites you could go to on tour to do other illegal stuff. There were other websites that were directed towards, um, like the like the the really super dark stuff that hurts other people when you do it to them. Like, uh, yeah. Cause that, that was part of like the basis of the Silk Road is that you can harm yourself, but we don't want you to harm other people. Interestingly enough, when I, just before I joined, or it was right after I joined the Dread Pirate Roberts, the guy Ross, he decided to make a sister site. The, the armory. Arm, the armory. Yeah. That was a crazy thing because there were literally people selling like Mac-10s and stuff, right. like fully yeah. automatic Mac-10s that had no cereals. So Whoa. they either came from out of the country or they came stolen straight from the manufacturer or they right. were manufactured. Right. I mean, really spooky stuff. I mean, they were selling 40 millimeter grenades on there. Whoa. Uh, I mean, there is literally a little – a little like a M203 grenade launcher with fully with 40 millimeter grenades. I mean, who you're, I mean that thing, I mean, I mean, how the fuck are they going to miss that in the mail? Yeah. Right. You know, I mean, it, it, I mean, what's the point of even trying to drive something across the country like that? If you can just fucking mail it and they're not yeah. going to find it. And there were people that are like, Oh yeah, I received my Glock 23 today. Thank you so much. Like works perfectly. Like, like that's yeah. fucking scary. And that's he ended up, I think he ended up shutting that down pretty quick because that was like, you know, kind of really terrifying. playing with fire. Yeah, it's just some scary yeah. shit. Somebody had so, a listing on there for, for plutonium. I'm sure it was a oh, joke, shit. but it was literally an ad for plutonium. Wow. Yeah. So was there other stuff besides drugs on the Silk Road that you saw? Yeah. I mean, there was a lot of, there was a guy who to me was the scariest guy on there. <clears throat> he was the, probably the person with the most dangerous thing that he was doing was you could pay him $10,000 in Bitcoin and he would teach you basically how to move millions and launder millions of dollars. Oh, and wow. he was doing very serious money laundering for some very wow. serious people. And he was the guy that knew what was going on in the forums. Like, he was the guy that knew what everybody's game was. So really... he could target his customers. Exactly. Yeah. Huh. He, 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 was, he was the guy. Like, these, like, this is the guy that who actually had real-life connections to some pretty crazy stuff and kind of what I would imagine to be high levels in his government. I think he was based out of the UK. And mm -hmm. he was able to get perfect uk passports and you know you could send him oh. a passport photo and he could generate ids for you and people are like these work i just traveled with this passport it works perfectly the fake documents that worked perfectly you know there's of course there's stolen credit cards stolen documents you know there's that kind of stuff on the silk road as well and then people were also selling 
other weird shit like t-shirts and other stuff that they could use to get their feedback up you know little little things yeah. like that but yeah they they had a couple of different non-drug items on there and you know a lot of it was soft but and then there's a lot of people are like oh well you know how do you feel about being somewhere where they sold it was like a marketplace for stuff like child pornography and it's like well they never sold nobody ever sold that on there yeah, and that's, that was on like the ground rules, and that's yeah. I don't yeah. obviously I haven't seen seen the website. I've just seen right. screenshots of it, but I I think that like right when you enter it, you they give like a disclaimer, and one of the things is like no abuse of like children and stuff, right? Yeah, that kind of stuff was not allowed, and and the the people for the most part that I had seen on the forums were like, this is something where we draw the line with is. Okay. You know, we don't want any shit like that around us. I mean, yeah, obviously. I mean, okay. that's really, really, <laughs> yes. really, that's, and that's, but that's the kind of thing, though, is like there are people like that on there. And there are people that, that have access to that and that are, you know, they're doing that kind of shit, you know, back through, through, through back doors or whatever. They're doing it together and inviting people to places like that. And, and that is, you know, the real danger is getting involved with some of the human trafficking shit through there, right. which is, yeah. uh, you know, there were people that were not advertising it, but they were basically saying, like, this is what's happening and this is where you can go on the dark oh. web or stuff like that. Gotcha. Yeah. So they're using it as like a, yeah, like a to get you to go to another thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Places where you can buy like uh, custom videos of people being killed and things like that, you know, and like yeah. people that are set up in third world countries and, you know, that's what they do is they kill people for money on, Shit. on, yeah, very, very dark stuff. Yeah. I have a couple questions for you about like some of the people that are like in charge of the Silk Road and like mm -hmm. if you ever like interacted with them and, or like if you have opinions about them, but did you ever interact with Variety Jones? No, I, I'm, well, <sighs> I know that he username. was like the second in command, basically. Yeah, I never interacted with them on the forum. I don't remember when I was on the forum there. I stuck to basically there is this sub forum for the heroin dealers because oh, that's gotcha. where people okay. went to went to cry about not getting their heroin or whatever. So um, I never dealt with that person. But when you say that username after all these years, it it registers with me. It's like, yeah, that was definitely something, something on the Silk Road. But yeah, no, not personally. Yeah, he was like the main, he was the dude that basically ran the show underneath Dread Pirate Roberts. And mm -hmm. he was like a real life scary dude um, who was having to move around to a bunch of different countries. I think when he finally got caught, he was in Thailand. And, yeah. um, yeah. And he had like multiple police on his payroll and even that couldn't keep them away. And he was like the last dude to go down. Yeah. 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 Did you ever, and you said you once like complained to the Dread Pirate Roberts. Mm -hmm. um, so did you have much interaction with him at all? Just as, to the level that you would have if you complained to somebody on eBay about yeah, another okay. user, you know, and like then, very straightforward, very businesslike. That's it. Yeah. Do you think that Dread Pirate Roberts was more than one person using yeah. that screen? One hundred percent. The person that was Dread Pirate Roberts did not. The Ross Ulbricht who got caught, I one hundred percent believe that he was not the person that was involved in it originally. Or huh. 
there were more than there, there was more than one person with that username. There was the person. I don't think I mean because he definitely was involved in It was maybe his creation but yeah, not when it yeah. proliferated. So are you guys I mean there there was a theory that the guy that was actually Dread Pirate Roberts was um the French guy who ran the Bitcoin exchange. Did you guys hear about that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's another guy I I don't know. I remember his name, but he was a French guy. He was a weirdo and he uh, it was rumored that his exchange, which was MTGOX, you know, that was basically <laughs> so he could uh, the Silk Road supported that basically. You know, they were mm-hmm. in support of each other. You know, you have your yeah. money exchange and then you have your actual commerce. And so uh, at some point, the site changed hands and I think ended up. Uh, with ross or it started with ross and it ended up with the french guy one or the other you know it's been mm-hmm. a couple of years since i've i've really read about all this stuff again but yeah uh, yeah and we obviously like just read um the book american kingpin mm-hmm. and also like watch deep mm-hmm. web so like that's why we have it all fresh in our minds right now but yeah. <laughs> we never used it or anything so right do you think that ross should be in prison for the rest of his life no not a chance so yeah, okay. Not a chance. I mean, they had. To, look, here's the thing: is, you know, I did my little thing on there, and then the site went down. I logged in. I logged in one day, and they had the fucking FBI logo, and I just shut uh. my computer off. <laughs> and then yeah, <laughs> no shit. It was literally like that. It was crazy. I mean, there were things that were happening leading up to that, and there were people that were disappearing, and people uh, that were exit scamming which is when they rack up a bunch of orders and then they get all the money and then they promise to ship the shit out and they don't. And then you just take off with your money. Delete their account. Exactly. There were people who knew that the, that it was going to come to a close. There were, yeah, there were people that's like, you know what? We have to get out of this before finally the hammer comes falling on us. And it fucking did big time. And there were the smart ones that realized what was happening when I think they realized that the person who Dread, Dread Pirate Roberts was wasn't the person, it's it's like because it switched over, and there was there was one thing that was interesting was even on the forum one day, he came out and was like, oh my username now is Dread Pirate Roberts. It was something before that. It was something. It was before. admin. It was air exactly, and then one day it changed, and then. You know, uh, within a few months after that, uh, you know, people started falling off of there and there started to be a lot of complaints. And then uh, and then the site just went went kaput. You know, it was it. So did you try any of the other like websites like Silk Road 2.0 or any of the other websites that came out after it? Not directly after it, but I did get involved with one as a reseller for one that was strictly a marijuana site mm. that was shipping out marijuana from California. Mm-hmm. That was a really closed down, like super locked in site where you could not be a vendor unless the people running the site knew who you were. I think personally, it was kind of a, mm. kind of a crazy deal. And that was only for a little bit. That was actually more recently. And that was just selling stuff that, 
you know, basically saying, hey, uh, basically doing middlemaning for people. I didn't actually receive any product from it. I was just basically helping people out saying, hey, this is what you can do and this is what's gotcha. available, you know. Yeah. So if you are somebody that is looking to buy marijuana and you, you live somewhere. You can go to the store. <laughs> right. You, yeah. I mean, you can go to the store now, but somewhere where you can go because a lot of people from the West Coast sell their excess legal shit, they sell it through Instagram. This they call it Instagram trapping, you know. And there's a lot of Instagram trappers out there selling, selling to people on the East Coast and in the Midwest. So that's kind of like the new thing. It's not as big, it's not as secret, not as uh, risky, but yeah, that's where you can actually find a lot of different drugs now is Instagram. Interesting. In, in, yeah. Do you find it through like <laughs> hashtags or yeah. how do you... Oh, okay. Do you ever do like you do like hashtag and then the plug emoji? <laughs> like, no. <laughs> yeah, you can just do like that or any of the weed, any like the weed Instagrams, like a lot of the users just like advertise on there. Yeah. And uh yeah, I mean, it's not something that I would do or need to do, but I mean, people plenty of people online that I know is how they get their weed is they just get it through random Instagram trappers. So Instagram yeah. trappers. Yeah. Wow. I feel so old. I know. We're like, <laughs> we're so old school. We, it took us like 20 minutes how to figure out how to record this Skype conversation. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know like you've answered a bunch of our questions about the Silk Road and thank you, but like there's a part of me, the human element in me that wants to ask, like, are you clean now or are you? Oh if, yeah. If you, you don't have to answer that. No, no, I'm happy to answer it. It's a serious, it's a natural question that you'd want to ask, and I would answer. Yeah, I would especially ask, yeah, having heard how you bought a bunch of heroin, yeah. Right. <laughs> and I'm sure I don't know what you guys are expecting either. Probably somebody buying a bunch of weed and, or psychedelics and stuff like that, right? But like, there are a lot of people in there that were just using it because they were sick and tired of dealing with real life heroin dealers and getting shafted or having to wait two days before anything showed up and you're sweating and getting sick. And I mean, you know, um, that's kind of what I was using it for, but I got really tired of dealing with that. I got tired of dealing with what I like to refer to as pill math, which is what happens when you are addicted to pain pills and you need to, you know, uh, you need to like, yeah, you need to like find your money to buy your pills. You need to trade prescriptions. You need to do all, run around to grocery stores, ATMs, sit in parking lots, all that shit, that life, that hustle is so mm -hmm. fucking demeaning. And I feel for people that are going through that shit, but I could not do it anymore. And I got sick. I got mm -hmm. sick and I almost fucking died from it. My, mm -hmm. Organ shut down and I was in the hospital in 2015. I had just turned 30 and I was in the hospital and my fucking, uh, I ended up, <laughs> it's, it's a shitty, shitty thing. And it's some people, they can only learn the hard way. And mm -hmm. for me, it was, it was having to go through congestive heart failure. So, yeah. uh, yeah. So that was, I mean, I have serious health problems from poly drug use for my whole life and I'm 35 now. So, you know, and I have serious health repercussions from that shit. And so I think, I mean, when you have done that kind of, you know, when you've, when you have engaged in opiate abuse like that, like a lot of people tell me a lot of other opiate former addicts and 
current addicts, they say, you know, you never lose the taste for it. It never goes oh. away. It can sneak up on you. That's why your support system has to be rock solid. It's why your treatment has to be rock solid. Everything. So that's oh. what I've been focusing on is is maintaining sobriety, following the plan, you know, making sure I have an amazing support network. You know, I'm I got a wife. I have I have a nice. job. I'm I own a company. I'm not you know, I like to I mean, I honestly like I smoke weed and stuff like that, but you know, like everybody in the world knows weed is not a drug. It's it's a healing plant. <laughs> That's yeah. what it's, uh, uh it's yeah. So I mean but yeah, I don't mess around with anything like that. I don't I don't like to take any pills. I don't like the idea of of being around people that are going through that because it makes me want to do that. Like when you go to a party or you have a friend and they say, Hey, I have some oxys or I have some Adderalls or some Xanax or whatever. And I'm just like, you know, my hands start sweating. It's like, fuck, I don't want to get roped into this again, you know? So yeah. that's why it's so important when you're going through that shit is to have the right kind of support network, you know? And I do feel for everybody that's suffering and struggling and going through that shit, whether they're having a good time or a bad time, you know, it's, it can turn, it can turn bad very quickly. So that's pretty So having it. gone through all of that, do you think yeah. all drugs should be legal? Um, yeah, I think they should be legal, but I think that people, I mean, it's, 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 it's not, no, it's I know. Like, say, I, I asked you that question earlier and now I'm wondering if it's changed kind of having, you know, gone through your whole kind of, you know, drug story and sobriety, like knowing how hard it can be on people. If it was yeah. easier to get, do you think that more people would do it? I think that it needs to be not gotten online through an unregulated source of just yeah. people. I think that yeah. the country and the government really needs to come out and be like, okay, like uh, the first and foremost is we want to do is we want to help these people that want to do this stuff. And we kind of, it's, it's really like, I think like if uh, we educated people about, why they want to do these drugs or why they're on these drugs and yeah, how to get off of, of them. Yeah. It's a, maybe treat the underlying issues as opposed to just yes. the drug use. If you, and, yeah, and I, I guess rather than saying legalizing drugs, I would maybe a better way to say is decriminalizing drugs. Yeah. Yeah. We need to decriminalize drugs. I mean, we shouldn't have open air drug markets here. That I don't think that we should have open air heroin markets. I yeah. think that it's, I mean, there are places where basically that shit is they just turn a blind eye to it, like Vancouver and and, and Washington and shit like that. That shit's going mm -hmm. on in places. Oh, I yeah. think that that needle exchanges are perfectly fine, like places for people to go and shoot up safely or whatever. And there's nurses there and they can wake you up if you fall out. I mean, that's that's great. But I mean, we don't need to put the allure behind it. Part of the allure to me was like, whoa, this is like some crazy shit. Like, not everybody does this. Like, this is like, like, maybe this is cool. Like, Miles Davis did heroin. And like, 
you know, shit, a stupid childish shit like that. Like, oh, like in movies, they make it look fucking cool. Like, so, you, oh, so you're saying that like if it was legal and people were educated about it, they might not want to try it. <laughs> it's like how they do it. And in, in like in Amsterdam, like they have weed stores out there and over there, the kids, they don't think of it as anything. It's just another thing. It's like another alcohol. It's like they don't have historically in Amsterdam there hasn't been they had they have because they have a different culture with weed over there there's no mystique to it and we're gonna lose and the kids of today's generation they're gonna lose the mystique with marijuana and I think that's gonna be overall helpful but we have to we have to keep going with these other with these other drugs and you know, we have to keep saying like, hey, uh, you, this is not something that you need. This is there, there's for me, the biggest bone I have to pick about all this, with, especially when it comes to opioids, is that people always focus on the societal stuff when it comes mm-hmm. to being an opiate addict. But they rarely, if ever, focus on what opiates actually do to your body because they Mm -hmm. do have a physical effect on your body they have a physical effect uh, a a marked physical effect on the way your brain perceives things and how you function in your brain also in your organs it's terrible for your heart terrible for your liver and and you it, it can cause infections and i mean yeah, you can take one hit of bad dope and you can die from it because it's overloaded with dope. But, I mean, people can do dope for years and just their organs can fail, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think there's not enough focus on those medical aspects of opioid abuse. And I think that people, I mean, this country needs to say, yeah, it's bad. It'll make you steal. It'll make you steal from your family and ruin all your friends and your and your relationships and you know, the, you can end up in jail. Yeah, that's definitely true. And that's a crazy, uh, crazy consequence of it. But we should focus like this shit will literally make you die. Like it'll kill mm-hmm. your body and you will. And if you survive it, you'll have to live with what you did to yourself. If you do recover, if you're one of the few people that comes out clean from it, not a whole lot of people can say that you will have permanent like the way you function will be fucked up forever. Like, yeah, yeah. that's the sad thing is uh, I think a lot of people, they get, they get on these drugs for like five or 10 years and they think they can just be cool or they, they get caught up in it and they say, Hey, it's time to stop. And they're lucky enough to be able to stop. And then like me, they just, it's like burnt out, you know, they just burned out with health problems. You know, that's the fucking mm-hmm. scary thing to deal with. So, yeah, that's the thing. Like when we talk about drugs, it's like, it's illegal. Don't do it. You know, but they're Mm -hmm. like, when you bring in the human element to it and the reality of it, then it becomes a little more serious. And if you actually educate kids about it, they're not going to want to do it probably. Well, when you tell them the actual truth, when you show them the dirty side of it, when you show them the side, the actual scary stuff. I mean, we, when I was a kid, we had dare in school yeah, and it was the very sanitized you know very yeah. uh, appropriate school version of that stuff i mean that <laughs> they made it seem fun i mean yeah. they made it seem cool i mean all this shit makes it seem cool it's like, but why you know are you so against it there must be something cool about it exactly uh, we we don't show we don't show people what happens to lifelong addicts 
enough. I don't. I mean, yeah, they they you know, there's the exploitation shit that you see on on cops, you yeah. know, and and on videos on YouTube and stuff like that. But you know, you you don't really get a chance to actually talk to some of these people, you know, that are that are the people you see behind the scenes that are really, really struggling deep in the dirt with the shit, like that are having to do some dark shit just to get, just to not even just to get high and have a good time, but just to like live, you know? Right. Like, cause when you're on that much dope, like it takes a lot just to even have fun anymore. And you never, ever get that normal feeling again, you know? And then it's like, so I'm just going to be alive just to chase this high so I don't get sick every day. Like I was spending thousands of dollars a month just so I didn't feel sick. It's like yeah. that's that's like uh, like what people do when they're terminally ill. You know, like this on when you have like cancer or some shit. Yeah, you have to, shit. you know, like am I just gonna die? Like am I just gonna like lose everything now? Like and then uh, I was like, okay, well I'm broke and I'm I've took advances on all my credit cards and. I've basically stolen money from my wife and from my family and from my job. And and now I have nothing left except for, like, the only people I had. I mean, well, the only I mean, basically, it all it all came crashing down when I went to the hospital. And my wife was like, if you don't go to the hospital, we're going to get a divorce and that'll be it. That was the point when so she that wasn't was, she wasn't an addict, addict no, as well. Not at all. She was the only re- she is the only reason why I'm still alive. Hmm. Wow. Well, we we can end on that note since it's a positive one. Mm-hmm. Yes. So. Yeah. Anyways, well, thank you so much for letting us interview you. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah, that was amazingly honest. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry to talk. So I have a podcast that I do, so I'm just used to talking nonstop. So I apologize. Not the like... hero. It's not the heroin <laughs> podcast. <laughs> no, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Well, you probably don't want to plug it here because then it would give up your anonymity. Yeah, pretty yeah. much. But yeah, uh, I do appreciate you guys uh, reaching out to me and thank you uh, for putting this together. And I look forward to listening to it when it comes out. Thank you again. Cool. Yeah. Thank you so much. In our next episode, we're really going to get into the Silk Road when it reached its fever pitch. But first, we want to talk about a few other players that have snuck into the story at this point and we haven't mentioned yet. They are Jared Deryagin, Carl Force, and Variety Jones. In June of 2011, Chicago Homeland Security Investigations agent Jared Deryagin, stationed at the Chicago O'Hare International Airport, starts investigating the Silk Road after noticing a bunch of packages containing small amounts of drugs coming into the airport. He is probably one of the straightest shooters in this entire story. He loved antique shopping with his wife and son. He was a college dropout who had dreams of becoming a secret agent, but didn't pass because of his history. His father was a sitting U.S. judge who had escaped Syria during the genocide. The Secret Service had doubt about his family's allegiance to the U.S. He had also interviewed with the DEA but didn't get the job because he argued with the polygraph examiner over what constitutes a crime. So he was watching packages at the airport when he started noticing some shady shit and got swept into the role of a lifetime. Carl Force, another guy in here, was a DEA agent 
who used to bust people's doors down and got a thrill out of it uh, until he didn't. (laughs) (laughs) Over the years, he gradually became jaded, and on one fateful evening, he got a DUI, which turned his whole world upside down. They will do that. Luckily, both of us have never had one. Knock on wood. Shit. Why would we? Because we... Well, Amy, she's my designated driver. <laughs> yeah. Desi D for life. Hell yeah. She's got that on her knuckles. I don't. <laughs> and don't ask me for a ride. <laughs> <laughs> so after this DUI, uh, he was basically a zombie, just going through the motions of desk duty and clocking out, you know, in and out to work uh, and going back to hit. So they bought this house in the suburbs of Baltimore. Him and his wife. Yeah. And his, yeah, for his, you know, kids to grow up. And it was like, there's like a little creek and it was like a nice house uh, when you look at it. But I guess they bought it and one thing after the next, like, fell apart. They had to get all the electrical, uh, electrical like, replaced and the stuff. Isn't it and like that movie Money? What, what was it called? The Money the Pit? The Money Pit. Or something? Yeah. Or was it exactly. Like the house? Yeah, yeah. 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 So their life savings just went into this house and, um, it just, and his life just kept not being what he thought it would be, right? Yeah. And you like that thing that they there's said a, in the book, yeah. There's a passage in the book that I thought was really cool, but it basically is saying how this guy, you know, you always have hope for tomorrow, but then at a certain point, you realize that your tomorrows are running out, and he's still doing the same shit. So they say it a lot more eloquently in the book. <laughs> One day, he was given the opportunity to join a task force to help out with bringing down the Silk Road, uh, except his shady ways and power-hungry big head got in the way, eventually. He would famously go by the username Knob, who is a made-up Colombian drug lord, Elario Elario Guzman. Guzman. Elario Guzman. Thank you. So, Ilario Guzman would soon try to cozy up to the dread pirate Roberts and cross and double cross until no one knew what was up or down anymore. He is one of the biggest shitbirds in the story. And lastly, one of my favorite and definitely Ross or DPR's favorite guys, Variety Jones. While Ross is anxiously biting his nails in Australia, Variety Jones, sometimes referred to as VJ among many other names, will be his closest confidant and one of the highest up in the Silk Road enterprise. This is rock. Yes. And also, like, he, he's like the godfather. He's just like, what do I do, sir? You know, like, he keeps going to him like... like. It's like the man behind the uh, curtain in the Wizard of Oz. Yeah, he's, he's, <laughs> and he kind of looks like that guy. Yeah, it, if we believe that that's him. And that's the thing, like, with this digital crime stuff... You got usernames on the dark web not really connected to much of anything. And then you've got people in the real world. Now, how do you legitimately make the connection between those two things? Now you have AI. Well, that's a whole other thing. (laughs) So this guy, Variety Jones, also gives Ross the idea to start going by the name Dread Pirate Roberts because of the movie The Princess Bride. I'm not a huge fan of The Princess Bride, but it's funny. most people are. I would say like 90% of people who see the movie like fucking love it. Painfully cheesy, but yeah. Yeah, it's and if you remember, it's that that guy. 
But the idea is, so the uh, protagonist get, takes on the name and the name belonged to someone before him who the name belonged and then they to pass someone it before on. him. So it's like this idea of... Predecessors and successors. Right. All these people using the same name. And so basically, basically it's a way out. Yeah. And Variety Jones says you can kind of use that logic to have that idea of plausible deniability, like, oh, it wasn't me. It was a different Dread Pirate Roberts because there's many that came before me and there's many that will come after me, you know, just that idea. And he, Ross kind of takes on this persona because he's having some conscious issues, like lying to his family about what he's doing and friends and And he wants out. Because he's very proud, like he espouses these ideals, but then at the same time, he's didn't, you know, he's not being straightforward about what he's doing, and he doesn't like that. So, and Julia's got a name for it. She says that there's the real Ross, and then there's the rebel Ross. Like she says that he's like two different people. Yeah. So by using like the persona of the Dread Pirate Roberts, he's on the internet. He can do all his shady shit, and then like have a clear conscious when he's talking to friends and family, I guess. It seems like such a dramatic shift from being this well, fairly well put together, smart dude who got two full ride scholarships with a master's degree who I just, I don't know. Like, that's the question. Like, did he really truly become this larger than life character so that he could kind of quote unquote live forever, you know, or, is he just one of many people behind a single username? And maybe there are many Dread Pirate Roberts. We just don't know. There probably are. Yeah. And as you heard in the interview. The CIA took it over a while ago. <laughs> but it, as, as you heard in the interview, users on the Silk Road sound like they don't believe that Dread Pirate Roberts was any one person. So in addition to those three folks that we'll talk a lot about next week, we will also meet another crooked agent named Sean Bridges. Another huge piece of shit, along with Carl Force. We'll also meet the FBI agent named Chris Tarbell and a few moderators from the Silk Road, as well as my favorite, Gary Alford of the IRS, who sure knows how to use Google. (laughs) So make sure you tune in next time to hear the story when it comes to an end. Or does it? (laughs) You know what's funny? Growing up, you know, I was like super into skateboarding and being outside. And like it was like right around the time when uh, like computers were like a thing. There's definitely like a, a division of kids that were like more into staying inside and playing on a computer than going outside and being boys or whatever. Yeah. I, I always thought I was the cool one. But now looking back. If you had just bought all that fucking Bitcoin. Except for you were an adult then. Should have learned how to work a stupid computer. <laughs> I could have bought drugs. Yeah, you on never a even had computer. a computer before me, did you? Why would I? Yeah. Does it serve beer? <laughs> Anyways, you could join <laughs> our true crime dumpster Facebook group where we post related pictures for the week's episode and discuss other true crime things. Follow us on Twitter at TC Dumpster and on Instagram at True Crime Dumpster. You can email us at truecrimedumpster at gmail.com. We also have a website where we post our source info at truecrimedumpster.com. Truecrimedumpster.com. That's, I feel like hard for you to say. <laughs> True Crime Dumpster. It's turning into a radio ad. Truecrimedumpster.com. 
Listen to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, and Spotify. Lastly, you can rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends about our podcast. Please do. So tune in next time where we will conclude the Silk Road Saga in part three. And we love you. We do. I mean, I don't know who you are, but I love you. Creature might not. He's Creature a doesn't bit, love he's anybody a bit of a except dip. for me. Yeah. So anyways, also welcome new listeners and people on our Facebook group. You guys are awesome. Thanks for keeping it real. Hell yeah. Bye. Bye-bye. I love selling blood.